Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. I'm going to pray real quick, and then we're going to hop into the sermon this week. Scott and his family are in Arizona on Thanksgiving break, which they're soaking up some sunshine. I'm grateful that they are. I'm slightly jealous as well, which means uh, I get to speak and bring the word today. So let's pray, and then we'll continue in this series in John. Jesus, we love you, and we're so thankful for you. We're thankful for the grace that you bring to our lives. We're thankful for the opportunity to gather in your name. Lord, I just ask that your word would speak truth today, that your spirit would be present, and that it would speak loudly to us as we are gathered in your name. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you who are new with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. And we have been working through the book of John, and we haven't gotten far. You're in luck. Uh, We started in September, and we have intentionally been diving deep into small portions of scripture because there's a lot of detail that John gives us and the life of Jesus is one worth diving in deep with. So we are actually taking uh, a total of about a year and a half to work through the entire book of John. And we'll take some breaks here and there, but we really believe that scripture has something to teach us. We believe that scripture has truth in it for us to live our lives here and now. It's not just some old book and some great teachings, but it's a way in which to model our life after Jesus Christ himself. So we're going to look at that today. And if you didn't hear the last couple weeks messages, I really want to encourage you to go back and listen, whether you go on YouTube channel uh, or our website, we're also on podcasts, wherever you consume podcasts, you can go there and and find us. If you look for Journey Church dash Sherwood, you'll find us there. And, um, Yes, Scott gave them, and they were great messages, but that's not necessarily the reason why. Oh, they were great messages. Good job, Scott. The real reason why is the word of God's being proclaimed. Scott mentioned this last week, that we are shaped by that which we are influenced by. What we look at, what has our attention, will begin to shape how we function. And we said this before, that our beliefs inform our behaviors, When the word is spoken and preached and given, that becomes the attention grabber. And it begins to shape how we see the world. And that's important. So the last two weeks, we looked at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Really powerful messages, really powerful interaction and beautiful story of Jesus bridging the gap with this woman and then her going and telling her whole village about Jesus, and Jesus coming and spending a couple of days with them, and his presence there with them, transforming that village forever. Amazing. This woman who was an outcast by society for whatever reason, Jesus had a conversation with, and her village was transformed forever. Beautiful encounter, and we're going to look at what falls next in line with Scripture. After Jesus spends some time in Samaria, he comes back home, but we'll get there. So if you haven't been keeping up, again, I encourage you to do so because these messages, they do build on one another. This, these details in the story that John gives us of Jesus's life here on earth, it builds on itself and it's intentionally written that way and it's chronologically given that way for a reason. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab it. We're going to be in the end of John chapter 4. But first, I'm really curious. Uh, how many of you have gone on what you would call a long road trip? That's a lot of hands. We got a right on. Oh, we got some road warriors in here. Fabulous. Um, 
So Lauren and I, we, uh, we took a long road trip. Lauren, my wife, she is from Columbus, Ohio. And a couple summers ago, we flew out there, spent some time with family, and then her sister helped her sister move back here. And that meant we hop in a car and we drive from Columbus, Ohio to Portland. And I just want to state this for the record. <laughs> Ohio is considered the Midwest. After our, <laughs> get some giggles, I like that. After, <laughs> after our travel, I would say uh, Ohio is neither mid nor west. I'm just, it not, it's not anywhere near, it's seven hours from D.C. There's, it's nowhere near the West Coast, let's just be honest. But it was a great road trip, and on that road trip, we, uh, I was desperately, we were desperately um, in tune with our Google Maps and all of the, the signage that you see when you are on the interstates, because we desperately needed guidance, direction, things pointing us to where we either needed to go or our final destination where we intended to go. So we saw signs like this, lots of those, lots and lots of those. Signs like these too, yep, those were really important. And these ones, yeah, we need a lot of that, a lot of gas. And that too, that was a necessity, 100%. And then we also, there's plenty of signs for food as you travel across the United States. It's amazing how many signs there is for food that's coming up. It's quite interesting. But we, we took a lot of time driving. We had kind of, we did full drive days and then we had a full day off and then another full drive day and a day off and then another full drive day. 14 to 16 hour drive days. Long time, lots of miles. And it was a beautiful road trip. Our nation is absolutely gorgeous, truly. But it would have been weird if we, could you go back one? Sorry, Dan. It would have been weird if we took photos of those signs, right? Just, I mean, those are, they're, they're nice, right? Somebody spent some time taking a photo of an A&W burger, right? But it would have been strange if that's the whole thing. We, all, we were captivated by these signs. But they were just pointing us to where we were headed. Instead, we took photos like this. Uh, that left one is of Nebraska, uh, Sunset, Nebraska, which was beautiful. This other one was in, uh, the one on the right was when we were in Wyoming. And we, there is this massive thunderstorm off to, uh, I think it was to the south of us or whatever. Yeah, because we were driving west. That makes a lot of sense. And, um, and as it got darker, the lightning storm got more like alive. Like you could see more of the lightning and the thunder and all. It was awesome. A um, couple more photos. These are, this is a Salt Lake City. We stopped in Salt Lake City and spent the day there. And it was uh, beautiful. This is in Idaho. This is um, Twin Falls, Idaho. Just beautiful landscape driving across our nation, absolutely incredible. And so instead, that's what we took photos of. And not road signs, not exit signs, not A&W signs, like we, or Cracker Barrel signs. We took, we took photos of things that were gorgeous and beautiful. And some of you might be like, Mitchell, where are you going with this? I'm like, what is the, why, are, why are we talking about signs? Because John talks about them. That's why we're talking about signs. So if you uh, are willing and able, I want to invite you to stand as we read this next encounter that Jesus has with an official in his journeys in the land. So John 4, verse 43 is where we're going to pick up. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you as well. After the two days that he had spent, he had spent this in Samaria, with the Samaritan woman, they invited me to say that for two days he left for Galilee. Now Jesus himself had pointed out that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When he arrived in Galilee, the Gentiles 
or sorry, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies. Go. Jesus replied, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judah to Galilee. You can, take, you can be seated. Thank you. We see in this story another interaction that Jesus has with someone that, that he really shouldn't have. We see, saw this with a Samaritan woman where culturally, sociologi- sociologically speaking, shouldn't have interacted with this woman, for one, and then she happened to be a Samaritan as well. And then here we get this royal official who comes to Jesus, and Jesus has this interaction with. So, a couple observations we'll look at in the text, and then we'll look at what this, what this really means for us and what the Lord's calling us into today. So, first one is, who is this royal official? Again, John is known, and we'll see this through the rest of the book of John. John is known for giving details, and the details are there on purpose. They're for us to understand what's going on. So who is this royal official? Some say that he was um, a Gentile centurion, so he's a Roman centurion, so that's one. Another possibility is that he was some sort of official within Herod's King Herod's um, royal ruling of the region in that time. It's unknown. Either one, though, this guy had influence. He had power. He had wealth. He had social status. This guy had had it all. We see later that he even had servants, which indicates a form of wealth to some degree. This is a massive public statement by this man. To come to Jesus in broad daylight. We saw Nicodemus earlier on in John come to Jesus in the cover of night. But we see a father's heart here coming to Jesus, pleading with him to heal his son. This was a big risk. He could lose it all by being seen talking to Jesus. But yet he still did it. Scott mentioned last week the power of not being divided, of being unified under the headship of Jesus Christ. Jesus cut through the minutia with this Samaritan woman, and he does the same with this royal official. He bridged the gap and had a conversation with someone that shouldn't be conversating with. And that's really, really powerful. 
The second question or observation that comes to mind is, is where is Capernaum in relationship to Cana? Like what, I'm, I'm going to slightly steal this from Scott because uh, I thought it was a really good idea when he talked about Jesus' path to through Samaria, right? So if we look here, uh, this is uh, modern day is what we call it. From Capernaum to Kafar Kana. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but that's where modern day Cana, they presume, would be. If you zoom in one more there, Dan, 35 kilometers, which is the equivalent of about 21 miles. So this royal official heard about Jesus, either hopped on a horse or a donkey or a camel or just walked. We don't know. But either way, he made a 21-mile trek to see Jesus, to plead for his life, the life of his son. That's pretty awesome. And to put it in perspective, if you're willing to walk a little bit further, if you head out these doors and walk to PDX, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll get there. It's about 26 miles, I think, Dan. Hit it. Go ahead, one more. Maybe. There it is. 24 miles. So there's some perspective. He walked relatively from PDX to right here. That's a heck of a walk to see Jesus. To ask a question that you didn't know was going to be answered, to then turn around and head back home. Over 40 miles round trip for this royal official to have a conversation with Jesus and ask a question to heal his son. Pretty incredible. Another observation we see in in Jesus' response to this royal official, verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. This is a a very interesting statement and response by Jesus. Uh, It seems a little bit of a lack of compassion, but he was ultimately trying to teach people, not just this official. He wasn't trying to make an example of him. The Greek here, when Jesus says, you will never believe, the original Greek, it's a plural you. He's speaking to the crowds, the people around him that are trying to seek and find this sign. They want to be astonished. They want to be in wonder because of the miracle, not necessarily because of the source of the miracle. The man that the sign points to Some people just wanted the experience of something that's maybe a little bit out there. But they didn't want the source. They didn't want Jesus at the source. Back in John 2, we hear, this is after Jesus turns the water into wine, and we hear that this is the first sign. And right now we're looking at the second sign. But the reason, the whole reason for these signs is that the disciples would believe that Jesus has authority. The whole purpose for the signs is that people would know that Jesus has authority, that Jesus is the Son of God. It's not about the miracle, though the miracles are amazing, but it's about this whole purpose of Jesus revealing his glory to his people. The next observation we see is this official taking Jesus at his word. And I think uh, for, for us in this day and age, I think that can be a very challenging thing when we really think about it, internalize it, process it, because how often do we take someone or something at its word? Last time I read the internet, I didn't necessarily believe what I read. One example. We live in a culture where when somebody says something or we read something online, we're not always quite sure if it's actually true. And we have to test it. But this, this official... Jesus said, go, your son will live. 
And what John tells us is that he, he goes and he acts on belief. James gives us two instances of this. James is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Right now, the youth middle school crew, we're almost done with James, which has been a blast. But James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? What's the point of this official walking 40 plus miles and then not believing Jesus at his word? I don't think he would walk the 40 miles to begin with if he didn't actually believe that Jesus would do it. And then James 2.26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This official had enough faith, had enough belief to travel that far, to ask the question, and even to persist after Jesus makes this statement of you people who will always be looking for signs and wonders. And he goes back and on his way, this is another example of Jesus, his, his attention to detail, but also John's attention to detail, that the very hour that Jesus said, go, your son will live, is when his son was healed. This was a reminder to me this week. I think sometimes I can forget, and I don't know about you, but for me, I can, I can forget that Jesus really cares about the small things that go on in my life. He really does care. And this, is, this was an example to me and a reminder to me that, man, even down to the hour down to the hour he cared enough for this official son and for him acting in faith that he would heal him. And as this official goes home, back to his family, similar to the Samaritan woman, he, he, he tells his family what happens. The testimony of this official changes his entire family's trajectory says his whole family, his whole household believed. Now, again, we, we hear household, and we think those that are in our proximity, right, the typical American household of 3.5 per persons in the household, right? This is not that. <laughs> 2,000 years ago, this man was wealthy. He, I'm sure he had a, a big place where he had, we know he had slaves or servants of some kind, we know that there was probably some sort of entourage, people that worked for him. The chances of him having extended family that lived with him. This is not three and a half people that came to know Jesus. We're talking about an entire legacy, an entire family unit transformed by Jesus healing this son and the testimony of the father. Because he acted on a sense of belief that Jesus could. We can miss these details when we don't fully understand what the scripture is talking about. It's a reminder to me and to us as a church that it's important for us to understand the context, understand the background of what is going on when we read scripture. It wasn't written to us in this day and age, in this timing of the world. But it it's going to take some more intentionality for us to be able to understand God's word and take it at face value, just like this official did. Uh, like I said earlier, Jesus bridged the gap with this royal official, just like he did with this Samaritan woman. He stepped into his world, he had a conversation, and he answered one question. And it reminded me of Ephesians 4. We talk about unity within the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body, one spirit, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Jesus is the common denominator. 
Jesus breaks down all sorts of social status. He breaks down all sort of economical income. He breaks down all sort of cultural things that we think are important. He becomes the common denominator. Shoes are great. I don't think it really matters to Jesus, though. We can talk about how cool shoes are and this and that, but really, like, the opportunity that Jesus does is he levels the playing field. I heard this when I was in middle school as a, as a younger kid, and I heard that the foot of the cross is, is flat. When we come to Jesus, when we come to the foot of the cross, and we kneel, and we yield ourselves to him, and we invite him to change our life, that ground is level. doesn't matter who you are, where you're coming from, what you've done, what type of status we have, it's flat. Because Jesus is the common denominator. He is the rock, and he is the bridge to eternal life and relationship with the creator God of the universe. And here's the really cool part of this encounter with Jesus. Um, <clears throat> in John chapter 2, right, mentioned this earlier, the whole point of these signs is to point people to Jesus' power and authority given by God. The whole, that's the whole point, that people, that disciples would believe in Jesus. Here we have a, a prime example of that, of this royal official who we don't know. It doesn't seem like he's ever had an encounter with Jesus, though. He just heard that Jesus happened to be in Cana and walked, rode, whatever, 21 miles to have a conversation with him. What's really cool about this is, is he was seeking Jesus not for a sign or a wonder or to be in astonishment, but because he just wanted his, his son to live. Uh, as a staff, we've gotten in a habit of reading the, the portion of scripture that's going to be spoken from um, kind of a couple weeks in advance. And a couple weeks ago, we were reading this portion of scripture, uh, and Olivia Cutterford made this beautiful comment that I'm going to borrow from you. <laughs> but she said, like, she's like, I, I can see this father just saying, like, Jesus, like, that, that's great and all. Like, I get it, but like, my son still needs to be healed. Like, I get, like, signs and wonders, I, I totally hear, but like, the reality is, like, my son's still going to die unless you do something. And this sense of desperation in the father to come to, the, to Jesus and say, I don't want a sign, I don't want to wonder, I just want to be healed. Or I just want my friend to come to know you. Or I just really would love to be able to, to have a, a peaceful relationship with, with my father or my mother or in a strange relationship. Like what is that thing in your life that is so burdensome and weighty that only Jesus, only his testimony, only his presence can solve it, can fix it? This man had all the money. He had all the status. He had all the power. And none of it was good enough to heal his son. He was out of options. And he turned to the only source that could. He wasn't seeking a sign or a wonder. He was seeking the one that all the signs and wonders point us to. He was seeking the Son of God. When I read scripture, I often ask the question, like, what does this look like now? Like I mentioned, this was written years ago in a context that is very different to what we live in right now. Um, and I love when scripture becomes very relevant. Uh, even this week, it just some challenges that I was having and then reading through Proverbs, I'm like, that makes sense. That applies right here, right now. Thousands of years later, that's awesome. Thank you, Lord. So I look at this, this passage, I'm like, Lord, like, how does this look now? How does 
this apply to this era, this world that we're in? How do we, we're talking about signs and wonders and taking you at your word. How does this work here and now? Can I share a story with you all? Yeah, I love stories. I think stories are great, great ways. AJ said no, but I'm going to say yes. <laughs> Just kidding, AJ. So uh, I help out um, with my wife. My wife's on staff with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes here uh, in Sherwood and a couple other communities in our area. <clears throat> and I get to help out with the Sherwood High School students and specifically their, their student leaders. Uh, these are high school students that have kind of chosen to raise the flag for Jesus within their sports teams and on their campus and lead their peers in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Disciple their peers on a weekly basis inside the halls at Sherwood High School. It's awesome. Talk to her if you want to know more. But I get to help out with the leadership team. And so every month they meet and they talk. And I just get to be the youth pastor that shows up the huddle and brings donuts and causes a bit of a scene and, and goes to their leader meetings and just loves on them and prays for them and cares for them and encourages them. And, and uh, one of their newer leaders, <clears throat> he, um, he's an amazing basketball player and golf player. Just total stud. He's a sophomore. And he has a Catholic background growing up wise. His family doesn't practice anymore, but he himself, that was kind of the foundations of his faith. And so he's, over the years, as we've gotten to know him, he's struggled with this personal relationship with Jesus peace. Uh, he's struggled with having that connection with God. And so in this meeting, he, uh, a couple of days before they were meeting, he had kind of messed up his knee. And the doctor had said, hey, you got six, eight weeks of recovery. That was going to bump into basketball tryouts that happened this past week. And it was just this whole, he was, he was bummed out. And he was limping, and it was, it was in a brace, and all this stuff. And, and we get towards the end of the meeting, and, <laughs> and we're like, is there any prayer requests? And I'm like, dude, you better say something. Because we're praying over you in your knee, one way, one way or the other, whether you say something or not. And eventually he's like, yeah, I'd really like prayer for my knee. It's, I'm really, I'm bummed out, it hurts, I can't really play, and all this stuff. And so we, we circle around, and we lay hands on him, and we're praying and asking the Lord to heal his knee. Because we know that he can. We believe that he can. We know that he can. We've seen that we can. We're going to take him at his word. So we're like, Lord, just please heal this young guy's knee. You love him. You care about him. We want you to, want you to heal his knee so he, can, so he can play basketball this year. And use this gift. Really good basketball player. Use this gift to bring glory to you. I come home. I share with Lauren what's going on. And, and I was like, man, I just really want Jesus to wreck this dude in the best way possible. Like, I just wanted to show up in a big way so that he can, like, just, like, know that, like, Jesus sees him, hears him, loves him, wants to be in his life, and there's a personal relationship with him, right? A week goes by, I show up to huddle, bringing some donuts, hanging out, and this guy comes in the door right to me. He's like, Mitchell, I got to tell you something. I'm like, I'm all ears. What's, what's up? He's like, my knee's better. I'm like, Yeah? Please tell me more. Like, help me fill in the gaps here. He's like, no, no, no. Like, so you guys, you guys prayed over my knee. And like a week went by and like didn't really feel that great. And then over this past weekend, like five days later, it's like it started to kind of loosen up. The tension started going away. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I went and saw the doctor. He's like, hey, it looks like you're doing pretty good. And you can start, you know, just kind of softly. He's like, yesterday I played a full game of basketball and it didn't hurt once. I'm like, Okay. Thank you, Jesus. This is awesome. And he's like, and he, and he literally told me this. He's like, Jesus, Jesus like, knows I'm real. Like, he, he knows I'm here. Like, he knows me. And he had this glimmer in his eye. Like, God became real to this young man in a very, very quick instant because of a sign and a wonder that Jesus performed in his life. That's what these are about. 
Because that built his faith big time. (laughs) It built my faith big time to see this young man fired up because he experienced the powerful presence of Jesus and the Holy Spirit working in his life and in his body. He tried out this past week, Sherwood, high school basketball. Uh, Really competitive. They only had four teams this year and they cut. They had to cut a handful of guys. And he made a team. And like I'm, I'm a little bit on like just sky high right now, excited for him because man, like this wouldn't he wouldn't have been able to try out, according to the doctor's prognosis, if Jesus hadn't interceded in that situation, if he hadn't been open to receiving prayer. And this group of students' belief and faith that Jesus could, and would, and even if he didn't, Jesus is still good, but belief that he could and would. That's what signs and wonders from the Lord are all about. And they're still happening. We read about them. They're happening here and now. Are we allowing them to build our faith though? Or are we just seeking the next sign, the next wonder, the next miracle for the astonishment of the miracle? Which is great, but the whole point of them is pointing us back to the source, back to Jesus. That's what these signs, that's what this encounter with Jesus that this official had. It's a very real thing that points to the Lord working in a powerful way here and now. So what's the point? As we read this, what's the whole point of all this? Here it is. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe me. That message is for us here now. Jesus said it to the official 2,000 years ago, and he's saying it to us right here and now. Are we, as God's church, as followers of Jesus, fixed on the sign and the wonder, and we're missing the intended destination that they point us to? Again, it would be really, really, really weird if we got out every girder that was over the interstate and took a photo of the interstate signs. That'd be weird. That'd be really weird. Are we seeking Jesus for the signs or for his presence that transforms us. And that presence draws us into deeper love, deeper discipleship, deeper followship of who Jesus is and what it looks like for us to model our lives after him. John 3.30, he may become greater and I may become less. Our lives as followers of Jesus are about his presence, his character, his identity, shining towards others, being shown towards others. And here's the, the kind of final question, the final point in all this. Are we going to take God's word as truth? This official, I love, I love this statement by John. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Jesus said, go, he went. Said your son will be healed, he believed. Do we believe what the word tells us is true? Um, I have this bookmark that we uh, went through a series with the youth and the armor of God, and it was awesome. And there's a couple layers in here that speak to truth. The belt of truth, and the kind of little catchphrase, or any of the youth in here that remember it, I'll put you on the spot, hot seat. Negative ghostwriter. That's okay. Okay. The belt of truth is we have to know truth to be able to discern the lie. If we don't know truth, 
we don't know what to believe in, we cannot discern what is untrue. And that last piece of the armor, the sword of the spirit, if we don't know how to use the sword, chances are we're going to hurt ourselves. And if we don't ever use it, it doesn't do us any good. If we don't know truth, we can't take Jesus at his word. Now, that's not easy by any means, but if we don't know it, if we're not cracking the word, if we're not reading it, a closed Bible does us no good. If we're not in scripture, we don't know what the Lord is asking us, telling us, and commanding us to do and not do, to say and to not say, to model our life after and to not model a life after. Like Scott said, that which captures our attention shapes us. Are we allowing scripture to capture our attention and shape us? At Journey Church, we believe that scripture, right there, scripture is the word of God. We trust it. We're going to trust the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That gives us an idea of what this is for. And as a former athlete, I love that whole training in righteousness. He's like, there's some training that we got to do. Like, we got to get some workouts in. We got to have some practice. We got to have some games to determine where we're at. I love that. That's a side note. So John, John 20 29, very end, little, we'll get there eventually. It'll probably be like a year and a couple months before, <laughs> before we get there. But we'll get there. John 20, 29, this is after Jesus is resurrected from the grave. He appears to some of the disciples and he appears to some more. And then Thomas comes into the scene. And he's like, nah, nah, I don't, I don't believe you guys. I don't trust you guys. There's no way. There's no way, no way. And Jesus says, hey, Thomas, here's, here's my hands. Here's my feet. Here's my side. Touch them. Put your hands there. And he makes this statement after Thomas believes. He said, Then Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Will we allow our beliefs to shape our behaviors? Will we take scripture and the revelation of the Holy Spirit at face value in our lives and allow us to move, to motivate us to shift, and to change. So, I want to invite the worship team to come on up as we wrap things up and we continue into our Sundays. But the, this, the question of are we going to trust the word and are we going to follow Jesus together? This is no easy task, but it becomes easier when done in community. When done in a group of people that have alike values, alike beliefs, alike desire to have trust and obedience in the scripture, in the word of God, in the truth that he brings to our life. It's really hard to follow Jesus by ourselves. We keep saying this, that Jesus always called people to follow him in community. There was never a single disciple. There never was. There was always a group of people that we follow Jesus with. Who is that for you? And it doesn't need to be a, a, a weekly group in a, in a house in evening time. Those are great. Those are great, but it can look different. It could be a couple friends that meet for coffee. It could be one friend that meets for coffee. It could be a handful of, of buddies or gal friends that go out and spend time together doing crafts or going bowling 
or going golfing. What does that sense of community look like where we're surrounding ourselves with people that believe that the word is true? As a family of God, will we take him at his word? And I think back to, to my childhood years and, and when, my, when my parents said something, when they asked me to do something or they gave me uh, some information or, or answered a question, I took their word as, as truthful. And I applied it to my life and I acted on it. Why? Well, because that's really the authority figure in my life. Same goes for the Lord. Is he the authority figure in our life? And we're allowing him to speak into us. Jesus, we love you and we trust you. And we thank you for who you are and the grace that you have given us. Lord, I ask that you would continue to work your will and desire in our lives as we read your word and we trust what you say. We ask this in Jesus' name.